I'm going to speak a little bit from Bhagavad Gita. What we're doing is we like to follow the pastimes of Krishna throughout the year, and every year the Janamastami comes. And so we should read Bhagavatam, the 10th canto of Bhagavatam or Krishna book, and all year long and come back to Janamastami. So we, this is a good practice because we're supposed to be devotees of Krishna, so we're supposed to know about Krishna and be attracted to Krishna. And so with the passing of the Janamastami, then we move on to other chapters of the Bhagavatam. But I'm speaking from the Gita and I'm just picking out a couple of verses that will take us into the Bhagavatam. Last night we spoke from the seventh chapter where Krishna mentions his, his Yoga Maya and we talked about the Yoga Maya who appeared along with Krishna. And as we discussed, as mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita, the essence of the, of the Leela of Krishna. So we spoke about that at some length. And so what follows that? Following the appearance of Yoga Maya who chastised Kamsa, the only one who could speak out against Kamsa, then, um, well, we'll get to it. You know the story. Let me cite this verse from the Gita and see if you can tell where we're going. This way we should try to absorb ourselves. We cannot sit simply and meditate on Krishna, Radha and Krishna all day and night, but we should spend considerable time at least reading and discussing about it. That will purify our hearts. And by doing that, one day we'll find spontaneously my mind stops and my heart comes to life with all of these things. And what was in the book, in all the books, as much as everything is in every one of the books, and certainly in all of Prabhupada's books, everything is there. At the same time, all of that is all just an outline, really, to the book of life. And because why? Oh, we can never say enough about Krishna. If we enter into the land of faith where there's no doubt, and from there we come back to the plane of doubt to speak about it, then it will be taxing and perplexing how to say enough, what to say, how to talk about it. We'll try to draw some examples from this world as far as possible, that, uh, speaking to the people relative to their conceptual orientation, but it's a difficult task. Therefore, devotees are speaking about it over and over again and again and again in new times and new circumstances. Never enough. Ikshita The nature of such, the absolute is we cannot say enough about it. Shankar says that sutra from Vedanta means we cannot say anything about it, but we take it another way. We cannot say enough about it, about Krishna. If we go over this outline, these books, and discuss amongst one another and in good company regularly, we preoccupy ourselves like this in all of our spare time. If we have work to do and other... Responsibilities, then we should find time. There should be our fun time. 
This is where you spend your extra money on these things. Then, in time, we'll find, by going over the outline, table of contents even, it is all these books of the Book of Life, we find there's a page in that Book of Life and that our story is told on there. Our story is on that page. We have a life in a world of the living, actually. It's now dormant, but it, this is how it comes to life. Again, we mentioned this earlier. Krishna Prem Nitya Siddha Sadhya Kabu Nai. Krishna Prem is eternally existing. It's a haitaki. It's not caused by anything that we can do, our practice, Sadhya Kabu Nai. It's not, a, it's not an event in time. It's eternally existing in the heart, in a potential state. And Srabhanadi Sudha Chite. This is what I mean. By Srabhanadi means hearing, etc. Hearing chanting, remembering about Krishna. What happens? Sutta Consciousness becomes pure. And then that page appears. Kare Udai. It awakens in your heart. And you know, this is my life. This is what I do. This is me. So, that is a high ideal. That's how we seek that. And this is the method. We should know what the goal is and we should know where we are. It's like, you know, you go to the mall and it says, you are here. And you have to go there. It's long and this, as they say, and winding road to his door. Karmendriyani samyamya yaaste manasasmaram indriyartan bimudatma mityacharas uchite. Krishna speaking here in the third chapter of the Gita. It says, a person who sits, restraining his working senses, while contemplating sense objects, deludes himself, and he's called a hypocrite. Strong statement. The context, of course, is Krishna speaking to Arjuna, advocating, as he said earlier in the text, that you're not qualified at this time for anything other than Nishkam Karma Yoga, to do your duty. We all have some duties. And to give it a spiritual color, to do it in such a way that you become free from it over time. And mystic insight, knowledge, awakens in your heart. And thus, you become qualified to want to speak of your duty. Move away from anything and everything that won't be conducive to inner life contemplation, which will qualify you for serious sadhana, spiritual practice, dhyana, and so forth. This is the progression, of course, that Krishna takes Arjuna through only to say that bhakti is the best thing in all of these things that you can get from nishkam karma yoga, jnana yoga, karma sannyas yoga, dhyana yoga, all these things are in bhakti. And therefore, if you really do bhakti, you should look to see that all these things are coming in you. Don't look for gopi bhav to come in you. Look to see that you're becoming detached <laughs> from the fruits of your work. This is a big thing. Look to see that the heart of the whole affair is in place. What is the heart of yoga? Selflessness. Self-giving. In the beginning, we give the things that we are attached to because they are us. We've identified with them. They are us. We give some of those things. We give our money. We give some of our time and so on. And we hear and chant because we are qualified for bhakti, because we have faith 
in Krishna that, that has been awakened in us, but we are in different stages of bhakti, so we should live responsibly, cultivate some type of balanced psychology, sattva, sattva guna. And from our work, most of us are working in the world and so forth, we should give something for Krishna conscious propaganda, that means for our own well-being, for more hearing and chanting, that the Swami can come and talk and cost money. You know. <laughs> the temple can be built, the book can be published, and so forth, all these kind of things. And by giving to that and helping to be involved in that, then we're involved in that. We go where our money goes, you know. We follow that and see how it's spent, that's dear to us. That kind of thing is very practical. And in time, we may be in a position to do only Krishna's work because we've given certain things have been removed from our hearts and we've gained we've gained understanding, knowledge, certain things we've been able to leave aside. And then we can be engaged only in Krishna's work, planning Tulsi, worshipping the deity, writing the book, these type of things. Serious, serious culture of such, then some inner life starts to come also. We can find that we can sit and chant and remember. And then while we do kirtan, to get to that, arriving there we can get up and do big, bigger kirtan. This is the teaching of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and our Guru Maharaj. Big kirtan. Kirtan is in the beginning, kirtan is in the end. Kirtan for purifying our hearts, and kirtan as a result of a purified heart. That will purify so many hearts. That kind of kirtan, that will have great effect, potency. So, here Arjuna is telling, is going through this gradual development. It's pertinent to us even though we're devotees, because as I say, we should see that in our devotion, these stages that are a result of Niskam, Karma Yoga, Gyan Yoga, so, that are, they're coming within us, because that's all part of bhakti. We shouldn't go and become a Karma Yogi or Gyan Yogi, we should be a devotee. But we're a certain kind of devotee, relative to our level of faith and understanding, and so on. And you should know, whatever position you're in, it is glorious. If you apply yourself appropriately, for making progress in that situation. This is what Krishna is saying. Don't try to be something that you're not. We can talk about the highest ideal, and we have a very high ideal in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Really, theologically, it dwarfs all of the theological conceptions. We can say that with some objectivity. Of course, it is our subjective experience, but we feel that there's a good objective argument for it. That's a funny way to say it, but we feel objectively about it. Um, but it's very high. And we live in a, we live in a, it's not exclusive to us, but we, this problem that I'm going to, that I'm mentioning, but we, we live in a culture that we might say could foster it that much more. We live in a credit card culture. So we're accustomed to getting things that we don't have the money for right now. And sometimes it becomes a problem we got too many things and we don't have the money and then you know you go bankrupt and you have to cut up your cards and you don't have a life of your own you're just paying for the things you bought that are now broken and old and <laughs> useless and, and so forth so it's a kind of a greed economy that we have and I think our we study the history our economy capitalistic economy is based on the principle of greed I'm not really advocating anything different, but that is where we live to a large extent. Well, I am advocating something different, really, but 
not another political ideology, only but a spiritual ideology, an ideology of giving, that by giving you will get. This makes sense. This is what makes the world go around. But we live in a credit card culture, so we're kind of accustomed to getting something even though we don't have the money to pay for it. So when a wonderful spiritual ideal comes in, it's very high, and by understanding the theory, you can speak about it in such a way that you can turn other people's heads even and so forth. And, you know, it's uh, easy to feel that you've gone somewhere merely by collecting some information that others don't have and repeating it. People make you feel like you're someone. You may not have gone anywhere. And it's also easy to, uh, well, it's a, there's a tendency, I should say, to want to have the thing, the highest ideal, because you've understood it somewhat intellectually, somewhat, and you think you've understood it completely, intellectually, and you want to have it, and you don't really have the, the power, the capital at this point. You need the company of a bigger capitalist than yourself. You're in the venture, but you're really over your head. You have to call in another capitalist who has bigger capital. And in his company, her company, in their association, you can proceed. But sometimes we tend to want the highest thing and talk about it even though we're not qualified. So this is a problem in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. It's a perennial problem and it will always be a problem, I believe, because it is such a high ideology. But maybe we're even a little more prone to it living as we do, as to say, in a credit card society. So we should be careful about that. Krishna's cautioning us about that here. He said, don't be a hypocrite. Know the goal, and we should know the goal. We should know it thoroughly, as thoroughly as possible. We should understand the theory of Krishna consciousness. We have so many books about that. We shouldn't think that simply by collecting theoretical knowledge that we've gone anywhere. Only as much as the theoretical knowledge that we correct fuels our practice will our lives actually change we make spiritual progress. So don't just collect that knowledge in your head. Let it go into your heart so that it mandates action and we start to change. And we should look for change in increments even in our human, everyday human dealings. That we are less selfish, more kind, more giving. That our hearts have become softer. Softer, but based on something very serious higher understanding, higher knowledge, based on knowing that I must change and taking the steps to do so. That will be very compelling. As we spoke a little last night, all the devotees want to know how to spread Krishna consciousness. My idea is, why don't you try becoming Krishna conscious more than you ever have before? That might be a good good start. As Prabhupada said, you should boil the milk at some point. Let the overflow be the preaching. It's not a hard thing. We should use our intelligence to be thoughtful how to present and preach and so forth, but not at the cost of our practice. And then we should intensify our practice over time, over years. And our theoretical understanding, we should we should develop it. And that should fuel uh, and intensify our, our practice. So you try, all of you, as my humble suggestion to become Krishna conscious now. And how you do that? In good company, understand where you really are on the map and then how to apply yourself in that situation. Don't worry what the sannyasi does and he'll talk about it. We should be like this, we should be like that and, or whomever, an advanced devotee. doesn't have to be a sannyasi. We should be like this, we should be like... Those are the ideals. They're supposed to talk about that ideal. 
We're supposed to figure that out, and if we don't, we can't, with good help, we should ask, and then apply ourselves there. That we'll call our progress. Bhaktivinoda Thakur has said a nice thing, quoting Bhagavatam, 11th Canto. He says, the true beauty is knowing your place and acting accordingly. That will be beautiful. Don't try to be something that you're not. Don't try to be a gopi or whatever. Or as Prabhupada used to say, don't try to be a great devotee. Just try to be a good devotee. That's a valuable thing. Everything will come to you. Pujala Raga Patagodavabhangi. This is a, the motto of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur's mission. Prabhupada put it in the simple words. A couple of ways to talk about it. We talked about it the other day. Work now, samadhi later. Another way he used to say it was, don't try to see God, but act in such a way that God will want to see you. Pujala Raga Patagodavabhangi. Matala Harijana Kitananangi. The ideal of uh, the Ragapata, the Vrindavan Marg, that kind of bhakti, that is very high, and then we hold that over our heads. And we'll act in this way, appropriate to our situation in Kirtan, and becoming really absorbed in that, hearing and chanting, so that will of its own accord come to us. The Sup Shakti is not blind, you know. They will take notice of us and automatically allow us within their company, Krishna's entourage. So, we can't go there with our shoes on. So we should apply ourselves appropriately according to our situation. And that's true beauty. That will be very charming. And we will call our progress. That's how we'll go to the next step. So Krishna tells Arjuna here, don't be a hypocrite. Mahaprabhu, we have to talk about. If we're going to go from here to Krishna Leela, first we have to speak something about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela. Because Mahaprabhu's Leela is the way to Krishna Leela. Mahaprabhu taught this very nice idea that, what? One should teach by his or her example. Apaniyachari bhakti sikai mushravari. He said, yadyat acharati shrestas tatarevita rojana seyat pramanam kurute lokastadam vatateta. Quote Gita. Mahaprabhu quoted this. This very much characterizes Mahaprabhu's acharjalila. Acharjalila means Mahaprabhu took sannyas. He traveled and he preached. He took the role of a teacher and he sought to teach by his example. He said, this is the best teaching. Mahaprabhu is the acharya of our sampradaya in the language of Jiva Goswami in his Sarvasamvadini. He said, oh, Mahaprabhu is the Chaitanya David, is the founder of his own sampradaya. So, he's his sampradaya in one sense. He's the acharya of that. But he only wrote one poem. Acharya, Prabhupada himself said, is characterized principally by writing books. Advanced devotees, he used to say, they will write the books. And opening the temples is for the neophytes. And again, that's important because there are a lot of neophytes. <laughs> and it's important for advanced devotees too. They like to go to the temples. So we, we shouldn't think, I'll write books and I'll be an advanced devotee. <laughs> I don't want to be a Kanishtadigari, I'll just be a Madhyamadik. No, there's a way to do that. And there's a process, there's a system. So, Mahaprabhu, he didn't write books. He didn't write a commentary on Vedanta Sutra and like Ramanuja, Madhva, so many commentaries. He wrote one poem only, of eight stanzas. And his preaching was very, very simple. He converted... Sarvabhuma Bhattacharya by remaining silent. Bhattacharya tried to educate him in Vedanta. 
He spoke for some time. Mahaprabhu just sat quietly. Just by sitting quietly and saying nothing. Bhattacharya became nervous. <laughs> what is he thinking? What is his understanding? And he became curious. This way Mahaprabhu created some sukriti in the heart of Sarvabhama. Then of course he converted him, but by silence. Oh, how did he convert the, the charge of the Ramanuja Sampradaya? This uh, Venkatabhatta was the was the head pujari for in Sirangam. Mahaprabhu stayed with him. How did he convert him? By joking with him. So he made jokes. Why, if Lakshmi is the husband of Narayan, why is she going with Krishna, another man? <laughs> he says he's his kind of joke. Oh, and that Venkatabhatta, uh, he was perplexed by that. Only you can answer such a... He said, well, he gave an answer, actually, according to Siddhanta. Krishna and, uh, and Narayan are the same. Mahaprabhu said, yes, very good. Then why is it that when she wanted to go with Krishna, she couldn't? Oh, that bewildered him. Only you can... Only someone who could ask the question could know the answer to that. But by joking, he converted him. And Prakashananda Saraswati, in Banaras, the big Maya body, he converted him by ignoring him. He ignored him. He came to Banaras on his way to Vrindavan, ignored him. Came back, ignored him. And this created some curiosity. What is, what is it? Then he finally came, he sat. Of course, he looked very effulgent. But by then, all that ignoring, and he thought he was a very important person. And this was a renegade sannyasi, a false sannyasi. He called him a hypocrite, singing and dancing with fanatics like himself. This is not sannyas. Sannyas is to sit and study Vedanta. But Mahaprabhu just ignored him and went on with his ecstatic dancing and chanting. Every criticism of Prakasananda rendered to Mahaprabhu, we accept it. Yes, he's not a real sannyasi. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that's all a farce. He's Radha and Krishna. <laughs> he's mad. Yes, he's a madman. Mad with Krishna praying. So, anyway, this way Mahaprabhu preached very simply. He converted the Shaivites. He said, the argument came to him: Who's superior, Vishnu or Shiva? He said, well, I, I don't know, but uh, Shiva takes the foot wash of Krishna on his head, so maybe maybe Vishnu is superior. <laughs> that foot washes the Gandhis. But he's Acharya. So how is he Acharya? By his example, primarily. This was his emphasis. He said, we should teach by our example. That has power. So we are his followers. So if we are to teach, we are to preach, if we are to convert others, it will be by our example, first and foremost. And the fact of the matter is that we have a very good theology and theory, and we can often present it quite well, but our example hasn't been that good. And therefore... As many people as we might like are not involved or finding Gaudiya Vaishnavism to be relevant. So the onus is upon us to be a better example. How we be a better example? To practice, to come together for real serious hearing and chanting. These kind of nice, simple gatherings, talk about these things and let it go. I say, don't just collect information. Let it go into your heart. I try to speak to you from my own heart. And I, of course, speak logically, as logically as I can, and speak from the scriptures and so forth, and you will listen. And I'm a bit of a, you know, a bit of an outsider in some respects. 
kind of a, you don't know where he's been the last 18 years, <laughs> what, he's, what he does, what he's been up to. So you may be a little cautious, some of you, and I uh, respect that. So you may listen a little with your head. And if it makes sense, and if it's Prabhupada-esque and so forth, then you may let it go into your heart. But I'm speaking from my heart, and I haven't been wasting my time for the last 18 years. <laughs> and I haven't forgot my Gurudev. That's the last of things that I would do. So uh, while I speak logically, even if you don't let it go to your heart, because you don't know if you agree with that, I'm, there's some background to my logic also, some feeling. It will go to you. Then you'll be affected to some extent. That will be good for you. It will be good for me if that happens. <laughs> and you practice more, you'll be a better devotee. Krishna will bless me, Prabhupada will bless me. This is the service that Prabhupada wanted me to do. And all of his uh, sannyasis in particular, that's why he instituted the sannyasa ashram, that they would go to the temples, gatherings, homes and whatnot, and see to the purity of the movement. They would be involved with that, seeing that the devotees are hearing and chanting and understanding and maintaining the purity of practice. Because purity... What is that? That is the force in Prabhupada's language. So, so we should be pure. We shouldn't be a hypocrite. We should teach by our example. Mahaprabhu taught that. He was a perfect example. His Acharya Lila teaches us how to practice both in rudimentary stages and in advanced stages. Now, what we're speaking about not being a hypocrite, to take the demon out of us, so to speak, you know, the neophyte devotee thinks that everyone's a demon or every devotee is just not quite there, except for me. But the superlative devotee, he thinks just the opposite. Everyone is there and I'm the only demon. So when we speak of a hypocrite, we think the hypocrite in us, that's the demon in us. This takes us then to Krishna Leela. Who represented the hypocrite in Krishna Leela? following the Janma of Krishna, the birth of Krishna. Then we come to Yogamaya's discussion with Kangsa. Kangsa backs off from his plan to kill the, any more children, but he has bad counsel, bad association. So in bad company, then he gets dragged down. He's prone to it, and he keeps that kind of association, so he's told, he's counseled by all his underlings, all who were under his control, actually, uh, all so many demons. They were all Kama Rupa Dhara, Bhagavatam says. They had power to change their form mystically. So they counseled him, we should never trust the demigods. Look, just see. They're the ones that predicted that the eighth child of Devaki would kill you and the eighth son, but it was a daughter. You can't trust them. So rather than feel that we're safe, this only underscores the fact that we should not trust them and we should be on our toes, alert. So the best defense is a good offense. Let us make an offense. What shall we do? We'll go to the villages all surrounding and we'll kill every child that's born in the last ten days. Because who knows? After all, that daughter, parent daughter of Devaki said that the child is already born who will bring about your demise. So let's go and find that child. So they got enthusiastic for that, having their, their counsel. And meanwhile, in, in Vrindavan, Nanda Maharaj was there, and uh, 
as I mentioned briefly last night, one messenger came. Jiva Goswami has envisioned it like this in his Gopal Champu. One messenger came by night, swimming across the Jamuna. Such was the administration of Kangsa. He had to escape at night to bring a message. He was bringing a message from Vasudev to Nanda Maharaj. And Vasudev was, of course, concerned that whom he thought to be his child, Krishna, who, as we talked about briefly last night, was actually Nanda Maharaj's son, Krishna, that he was safe. So he sent a message to Vasudev, and he had been released from the prison temporarily. Why don't you come to Madura and, and visit with me? And uh, this is the situation. That eighth child was a daughter. She did this. It was very wonderful. So Nanda Maharaj thought, yes, this is wise. I should go. Mm-hmm. Nanda Maharaj and Vasudev are relatives, distant relatives, kind of like brothers in a, in a way. They had the same grandfather who married a Chatriya lady and a Vaishya lady. And, of course, Nandamar was born from the Vaishya and, and uh, he had two sons, I should say. Their grandpa had two sons and they one married a Chatriya, one married a Vaishya, something like that. Different acharyas have spoken about it in different ways. But anyway, they were related and evidence is there in the words of the Bhagavatam. So, he wanted to go and he thought, I'll pay the taxes too to the king. I'll give him a lot of taxes and he won't be be happy with me, he won't worry about me. And um, and he advised his intimates, Upananda, Nanda, Sunanda, all his brothers and so forth, to take care of the child, Krishna, protect him in every way. He pried himself away from his son and went to Mathura. He paid the taxes, Kansa ignored him, he met with Vasudev, and they had a discussion. And Vasudev was making a kind of a, some inquiries without revealing the fact that he had gone at the night and taken a son Krishna and exchanged him for the daughter and, and so forth. So Nanda Maharaj was in, in Mathura, and as he was about to leave, Vasudev warned him, he said, be very careful. In fact, um, he cautioned him that there could be difficulty in Gokul, there could be problems there. He had some insight. Kanks was having these meetings. So Vasudev, Nanda Maharaj was just a, just a country bumpkin, you know. He was just a village <laughs> fellow. And uh, he, Vasudev was a sophisticated Chetriya from the city. So he, Nanda Maharaj thought, oh, Vasudev has some mystic knowledge. He's predicting something might happen. He actually knew because he was politically astute and he heard what was going on. Um, so anyway, Nanda Maharaj went back, and when he returned, what did he find? When he returned to Vrindavan, he found the body of Putana. Oh, Putana is, uh, is the personification of hypocrisy. We should be avoid that in all respects. He found the body of Putana having been slain by child Krishna. She came. She was uh, kind of a a witch. I'm sorry you have to go and I couldn't answer your question. Come again. Some charges say she was a bird, some kind of flying species, like some kind of a witch. Prabhupada said she could ride on a broom, a certain type of witch. And she, like the others, had the capacity to change her form. So she changed her form into a beautiful woman, like a goddess, and came into Vrindavan. 
and coming into Gokul, she came, and she was so beautiful and seemed to have such good intentions for the young child, Krishna, that everyone let her in. Even though they had been advised by Nanda Marsh to guard the child very carefully. So actually, Yogamaya is also involved in this. Without Yogamaya's influence, she would not have made it in on her charm alone. She was, after all, a hypocrite. She was not what she appeared to be. She was something very different. She appeared to be one thing. She had a very different idea in mind. So we should be careful not to be a hypocrite. In the language of Thakur Bhaktivinoda, what did he say? Kalichela. Don't be disciple of Kali. Simply wearing the neck beads and the, the dhoti and tilak, but he's disciple of Kali Yuga. Don't be like that. We should wear neck beads and uh, dhotis and all things. Well, you may, may, you may, may not. Of course, Bhaktivinoda considered it anukul with regard to sharanagati. Sharanagati means surrender. And what is anukul in particular, that is relevant for the sadhaka in sadhana bhakti. It's sixfold, this sharanagati. So two aspects apply to sadhana bhakti. And incrementally, uh, those two and two more pertain to, uh, largely to bhava bhakti and those four and two more to brain bhakti. So we should be very concerned with what is anukul, what is particular, what is favorable, what is unfavorable. By that, applying that, you see, we can transcend the dualities of our mind. What we think is good, what we think is bad, what we think is happy, what we think is sad will be transcended by embracing what is favorable for Krishna's service and rejecting what is unfavorable for Krishna's service. The full sense of this anukul particular that will bring you to the spiritual platform, the basic spiritual platform, see where we are and where we have to go. He said, this kind of devotional dress to come to the temple, that is anukul. Is favorable. The word the tilak. Tilak is mentioned also in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Uh, and there is some relativity to it also, obviously. Our spiritual life is not dependent upon what we dress. We can, there's no hard and fast rules for chanting Hare Krishna. And sometimes we think, oh, that we, we may not appear relevant, we dress in a funny way, and maybe we should change. There may be some reasoning that we could... I can't really wear tilak to work. I yeah. can't. I don't think I could. I could try it, but yeah. I may not have a job very long. I don't think it's a good idea. I'm sorry. And, mm. I don't think it's know. a good idea. But then again, our, we don't only work. And here you are tonight, beautifully attired with a sari and tilak. But possibly. Mm. I could get away with it, possibly. I don't recommend it. Mm. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Mm. And I don't think that, again, we have to spread Krishna consciousness by our example, such that people will inquire about us. Why are you the way you are? Not why do you dress like that, but why are you the way you are? Not why do you wear those kind of clothes? Why do you put that paint on your forehead? But there is a place for putting the paint, the tilak, and when we worship the deity at least, when we come to the temple, when we are amongst ourselves. There may be other instances too in the public where someone goes in the context of preaching and so forth. It may be useful. But we shouldn't just wear the dress. The real ornaments of the Vaishnavas are Titikshiva, Karunika, Suhira Savabhutanam, Ajata, Shatava, Shantushadava, Sadhubhushanam. This is the Bhushanam, this ornament of the devotee. Tolerance, Titikshiva, Karunika, compassion, seeing no one as enemy. And this is very relevant to our discussion about Bhutana. She came dressed like a friend, <coughs> but with the heart of an enemy. How did Krishna receive her? He could see her dress. 
she dressed like a devotee. He liked that. <laughs> She's dressed like a devotee. Very nice. <laughs> he liked that. But he also saw her heart. And what did he do? He closed his eyes then. He closed his eyes when he saw her heart. He didn't like that. And it also means, to some extent, Krishna. Swayam Bhagavan Krishna. Braj Krishna. Oh, we see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that Braj Krishna. And Braj Krishna is so much influenced by Radha. Mahaprabhu is that same Braj Krishna in the mood of Radha. doesn't really find any faults. Tends to close his eyes to the faults. Focus on the good only. The only good she had was she was dressed like a devotee. So even that has some, some value. Mm-hmm. Hmm? But he accepted hmm. her service, right, as mother. Yeah. Yeah. He accepted, well, she had one intention, hmm, right. to poison him. But he accepted, oh, she's dressed like a devotee, she's going to give me her breast milk, that's motherly, that's affectionate, that I live by affection, I am affection, personified, so like attracts like, this way. And then, of course, he sucked out her life breast. But we are told, we are taught, theologically, that the Vishnu inside of him, the killed Putana. So Vishnu, he, this aspect of Krishna establishes the Dharma. Like Mahaprabhu in Yuga Dharma, Sankirtan, Advaita called him for this purpose, Sankirtan, for the Yuga Dharma. He had another purpose as well, relative to his being not only the Yuga Avatar, but Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, and in the mood of Radha, searching for that, that Bhava. So Krishna, the Vishnu in him killed. Krishna says, Pritanaya sadhanam vinashaya chaduskritam. I come to the world to destroy the miscreants and protect the devotees. It means the byproduct of his protecting the sadhakas, it does away with the demons. And with regard to the devotees, he also comes because of the desire of the devotees in Golok. Like Mother Yadasoda desires to see him as actually born as her son. That can only be done on earth. So he comes for that purpose. Krishna means is moved only by his devotees. Their love is what fuels his whole, all of his movement, his leela. So, Vishnu killed Putana. She left, that, her real form came out and uh, she fell on the ground and so forth. Krishna was safe. The ladies came and collected him up. Nandamarsh came and saw that hypocritical lady. It was her real form, her body. Oh, but because Krishna sucked her life air out, he made her fragrant also. So when they burned the body, it was fragrant. And one of the principal points of this Leela, you see, is that in connection with Krishna, only good things happen. Bad things turn into good things. And there's no better example in one sense in this Putana Leela because she got a position as a nursemaid of Krishna in Goloka Vrindavan. There's nothing more insidious than a mother coming to give her breast to an infant and smearing poison on the breast. You could read it, and you know, it would be on CNN. Mother yes. <laughs> <laughs> smears poison on the breast, kills her infant. This would be like, oh, so many horrible things like that. But this is, this, these extremes are there in the Leela. You see, the Leela is real, it's a Leela, but it, it's all making points to us. Our position is such, we should hear the Leela in such a way is to draw philosophical points from it that are relative to us for our practice, such that by practice, we'll actually enter into that. 
And then the points won't be significant or of much of any importance to us. They're there, that knowledge, that insight is the foundation, the canvas on which the art of Krishna Leela is, is drawn. But we'll have to imbibe that in such a way as to, as I say, fuel our practice to go there. So we should listen in this way about all these things. So he killed Putana, and Uddhava made this example. He said, Aho bhakiyam stanakalakutam. And Uddhava, why he's talking? Uddhava was the most learned devotee in Krishna Leela. He was Krishna's advisor in Dwarka. And he studied this Leela, and this is what he concluded. Wow, he said. Who in their right mind would take shelter of anybody else? Here is a person, a god, whom a lady approached when he was in his embassy with the desire to poison him. And what happened? By his grace, she attained Vatsalya Rasa, to become like an eternal mother of Krishna. Inconceivable. You know how hard that is, how high that is? The contrast between... This is Krishna, you see? Who in their right mind, Uddhava said, would take shelter of anybody else? Thinking about this, how much we should take shelter of Krishna. And thinking about this, we should also think about so many hypocritical people that we may have met in devotional dress and been under the influence of or the administration of and whom we may bear a grudge to and so forth. Give that up. Don't think like that. Rectify the situation, yes, but this is all extension of the Leela. You know, once we sat, I sat with uh, Srila Sridhar Maharaj in early times when there was so much commotion at the Prophet's disappearance, and there were some people who appeared to be hypocritical in some respects, in, in leadership positions and so forth. And we asked how to think about it. He was so generous and kind in his thinking, so broad and accommodating, and uh, he told us, you know, you have to think like this. It is the, it is the Leela of your Guru Maharaj, just like in our Guru Maharaj's Leela. Then there were so many problems. But they were all his eternal associates. I think of them like that. This Maharaj, that Maharaj. But sometimes they, had, they were moved to play a certain particular role which seemed unfavorable, to bring out something, to bring out, to teach something, to bring something new to light. You see, Putana, as I said, she could have never really got there if it weren't for Yogamaya's arrangement. No matter how well she dressed herself, they were on guard. Yogamaya allowed her to come, allowed it to happen. It was under her direction for a greater purpose. So all we should try to think in this way. This is the, the spiritual perspective. How to think of it. So you, I ask you, please think about me like that, all of you who haven't seen me for many years. Oh, for some reason I was uh, had to separate by force of circumstance from Prabhupada's mission. It was the rule at the time. It might still be in some respects. So I, I had to do that. But maybe there was some purpose in that. And if you think kindly of me, I think that will be Krishna consciousness. And of anyone, and, and I may have treated you roughly by forcing you to go out on book distribution, some of you, <laughs> at some time. Also, so you please forgive me for that. But Krishna is mystical and he has many things that he wants to accomplish through his devotees. And our business is to surrender to him and be moved accordingly. With all of our sincerity, if what it seems to be saying is you have to go here now, then I never thought like that I would ever leave this gone. I never thought like that for a moment. But 
with all my sincerity, I thought, I guess this is what it means now. I have to go in this way. And so nobody so much understood. In those days it was thought, oh, he left Prabhupada, he rejected Prabhupada, but it wasn't the case. It was a dynamic understanding of, of Prabhupada and the principle of Guru that I was under the influence of. So, anyway, in a general sense, we should have generous dealings with one another. This is Krishna consciousness. Generous dealings with one another. And like I said earlier tonight, Joe, he's not here now, he said, I really like your Sangha, the Internet song, where you answer all those questions. I've been reading it for some time. He said, so I only had one thing I disagreed with. And he didn't volunteer what it was, but I told him, it's okay to disagree. I don't mind it. It's all right. You may be wrong, but if you want to disagree, <laughs> we can talk about it. <laughs> but it's okay to disagree. That's all right. It's all right for some difference of opinion. We should know that this is, uh, Krishna is like a valuable jewel. You can turn one way, another way, another facet, another... F- and Prabhupada is the same way. We should not beat one another over the head to say what it means to follow Prabhupada. That we have to follow him and see him as I saw him. I have my own eyes to see, my own heart. And if my seeing or your seeing is within the parameters of what we call Krishna consciousness, then it can be supported by that. Yeah. That's beautiful, that difference. That's another facet, another aspect. I, in one sense, bring to you uh, humbly, by invitation only, that uh, also another side of Prabhupada to some extent, his love for Sridhar Maharaj. That will come out through me sometimes. Sometimes I'll quote Prabhupada, Sridhar Maharaj, they had a great influence on me, both of them, in different ways. That's just what I am. That's a, how I came to be. That's, I didn't look for that. It just came to me in that way. So what to do? That's my r- reality. If it's spiritual, that's, I think I can represent that. And uh, Theoretically, you examine for yourself and determine. But that is a side of Prabhupada. You know, Prabhupada wanted to bring Sridhar Maharaj all over the world, too. So through some of the disciples that that happened. doesn't mean that for the, for the sake of overshadowing Prabhupada by any means. Sridhar Maharaj commented on it and he said, yes, Swami Maharaj, he wanted me to make some technical adjustments here and there, some few little things here and there, if, if need be. So if need be, you can call on me. Otherwise, I'll be in the background, which was his nature, always to be in the background. We used to think, that, see, that is his fault. He didn't come out, it's, but it's a good quality, actually. We want to be in the background, not to be in the forefront. We've seen so many people want to be in the forefront when they may not be qualified. So, in any way, in a general sense, we should be hard on ourselves. We should be very hard on ourselves, and we should be generous with others. And we learned something about that from this Bhutanalila. So, I talked for longer than I wanted to now. Please forgive me. Does anyone have any question? Can you explain the being hard on yourself. Sometimes there's a number of devotees in this room, I'm sure, who are trying to be compassionate to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a psychologist, you and your wife. Are, you know, <laughs> I, I won't uh, disagree with you. That uh, That's a good idea, too. I understand that, you know. We shouldn't be hard on ourselves in, in a psychologically dysfunctional way. But um, we should be hard on ourselves in terms of our thinking about our advancement in Krishna consciousness. Hmm. We should think, I'm not very advanced. That doesn't mean you become psychologically dysfunctional. Hmm. You should have self-esteem in in a spiritual sense and in a normal sense too. (laughs) But you should be proud to be a member of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, however small. You should be proud, I'm a member of this this tradition. But I'm nowhere in it. (laughs) 
<laughs> at the same time. But I'm in it. So I'm somewhere. I'm, I'm in it. So I'm connected. Actually, I'm connected maybe in this our lineage, the Gaudiya Saraswat lineage coming from Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta or Prabhupada, with such prominent representatives. Very good connection. So, yeah, psychologically, then we should be kind, on us, uh, kind to ourselves, not cruel to ourselves, that we become psychologically dysfunctional. That's not what Mahaprabhu meant when he said to be humble, humble before God. Another question? Comment? Yeah. And just, Maharaj, when we assess, in a person assessing their advancement, in the beginning, very oftentimes we think we're very advanced. It's kind of, you know, the, the nature of a, of a Kanishta, we call it. What's that called? Utsamai. Utsamai. Yeah. So they have, you know, so so it's hard sometimes, you know, to assess our advancement. If we think we're not very advanced, well, that may be true or that may not be true. If we think we're advanced, that may not be true, that may be true. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it just seems that as we do advance, we actually think we're not advanced. Once um, one of my godbrothers asked Srila Siddhar Marsh, because he used to always say that spiritual life is uh, measured by negatively, in other words, those who think they don't have, they have. Those who think they have, Upanishads say that one who thinks he knows Brahman does not know Brahman. One who says, I don't know Brahman, he knows Brahman. Such is the nature of the topic. I'll tell you, I'll finish that story. Remind me to, but let me tell you another one that comes to mind about Bhagavatam. How Brahman is Bhagavatam, the heart of Brahman. Nice story. There was a fellow in the Braj. His father sent him Banaris to get an education. He went to Banaris, he got an education, he came back. His father said, did you get an education? He said, yes. His father said, what did you study? I studied this book, this book, this book, this book. He said, you did not study the Bhagavatam? He said, no. What book is that? He said, oh, you did not get an education. Go back to Banaris, study the Bhagavatam. He went to Banaris, he studied the Bhagavatam, and he came back. His father said, so did you study the Bhagavatam? He said, yes. So now I know why you told me. You don't have an education without studying the Bhagavatam. This is better than all the books. He said, so did you understand? He said, yes. He said, better go back to Banaris and study the <laughs> Bhagavatam. <laughs> so he went back to Banaris and he studied the Bhagavatam. Then he came back and his father said, so did you study the Bhagavatam a second time? He said, yes, now I understand why you told me to study the Bhagavatam a second time. It is so deep, so much more I got from the second time. Now I've understood it. So <laughs> you have. Go back to Banaris and study the Bhagavatam again. So then he went and studied the third time, and he came back, Vrindavan, his father said, so did you study Bhagavatam a third time? He said, yes. Did you understand it? He said, no. He said, now you've understood Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> <laughs> So, if we think we know, then we may be suspect. So the devotee said, well, you're always saying this, Guru Maharaj. And he said, but what if you feel you really don't, you know, you really aren't advanced? <laughs> then you really aren't. And then Sridhar Maharaj just said, really you feel that way? You really feel that way? That's how he replied. Oh, very good. Hmm? <laughs> so, 
Yes, that's actually the fact. If we, if we make progress in Krishna consciousness also, as we make progress, we'll feel it's not by my effort that I progressed, but by grace. Because whatever little bit we get of real experience, it so far outweighs anything we've done to get that. We may think, oh, I've got to get enthusiastic, restart my life, chant better, and pray, and so forth. And we may get a little experience, but it so much outweighs whatever we've done. So really, because it's coming by mercy, not that we shouldn't endeavor, but without mercy, endeavor will not be sufficient. It's like if you walk in the forest and you fall into a, an old well, empty well, how will you get out? You have to call someone, help, help. So someone comes and throws a rope to you. They say, hold on to the rope, and I'll pull you up. So when that person pulls you up to get to the top, you don't say, wow, I held that rope pretty good, didn't I? <laughs> no. We just think, you saved me. It's, in, it's of no, we have no sense that I was holding onto the rope. Or so our progress is dependent upon the mercy of Guru and Krishna, and that's dependent upon our practicing. And, uh, yeah, it's a funny, you know, it's a funny religion. Those who think they don't have, they have. Those who think they have, they don't have. We're full of things like that. It's just, uh, it's the nature of our tradition. When Krishna asked Duryodhana to go and find a person better than himself, and he told Yudhisthira, go find a person lower than yourself. Hmm. And Duryodhana comes back and he couldn't find anyone better than himself. <laughs> Comes couldn't, couldn't find, find anyone, anyone lower. <laughs> because if we really, as Sridhar said, really? You really feel like that? If you really feel that you're nowhere, you see, then you're getting closer to yourself. We're finite, we're approaching the infinite. The closer we get, the more we realize how finite we are. What is infinite? What is finite? So if we really feel, I'm not making any progress. That, that's just like, uh, you know, if you really truly understand your problem, then that's the beginning of the solution, right? Of course, the other side is there. When my Godbrother said to Sridhar Maharaj, I feel like I'm making no progress. He said, no progress? You have human life. There are so many species of life. You've come to human life. And you have the shelter of Guru. So much progress you've made. As Vishnu John Maharaj used to say, and I quoted it earlier, the distance we have gone in our material sojourn to arrive at the feet of our Guru is far greater than the distance we have to go from here to the end. Question? Someone else have? Yes. then you should do what you feel. It must be something to do with Krishna consciousness. You came here. Do that. You know, it's a long and, as I said, the kind of winding road. So, it's like if you want to reach Mount Everest, it's the tallest peak. So, when you go there, it will look like this. Because you have to go through so many foothills, right? 
sometimes it will look like you're going down. But from a broader perspective, who has that broader perspective? A guru, a sadhu, I would say everything's all right. The thing that's important is if you can find some good company, a sadhu who you have feel some affection coming from and some knowledge and understanding, try to keep in that company, connected with that person in some way. Try to think that, that such a person of consequence cares about me. And if your Gurudev has passed from the world, then you try to find someone like that who likes your Gurudev, who, who represents your Gurudev, inspires you. And try to keep that company and keep in touch with that person and think that, that I want that person that will think about my life and give it some meaning, something like that. Uh, we all want that. And that's available too. It is possible to have. So then that person will see your situation in, in a generous way. You may have made certain commitments to your Gurudev and certain circumstances and so forth. You know, like take Prabhupada, for example. I'll give you a nice story about Prabhupada. Malati Devi told me this recently. She came to visit me. And uh, she was telling me some of the early days of her experience with Prabhupada in San Francisco and how they got the Jagannath deity. She stole the Jagannath deity, actually, from a store and showed it to Prabhupada's little one. And Prabhupada asked Shamsundar if he could carve a large one about this high. And you know, Prabhupada said, this high? <laughs> this is the way the devotees responded. So they got a tape measure exactly that high. <laughs> It was a good quality in one sense on our part. We wanted to do it exactly the same way, but then we tend to take, have a literalist, kind of literalist understanding of everything, and we end up sometimes with just the words without the meaning behind them. We said, this is what Prabhupada said, but we don't know what he meant. We don't have a dynamic understanding of it. Or we don't know that's what he said then. This is what he means for now. <laughs> they have the boldness to do that, the insight to do that, the, the realization to do that. That's what preaching is about. So anyway, they began to carve. Shamsundar began to carve in his apartment. And so one day, out of the blue, Prabhupada decided to come and see how the progress was. He knocked on the door and they opened it, and there's Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said, I came to see the progress. Malti opened the door and there's Jagannath carved, and on his head is a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Very embarrassing. So Prabhupada could see their embarrassment, and then he said, "He said, yes, this smoking is very difficult to give up. <laughs> very difficult." And then he said, um, "But you, you shouldn't let a small piece of cigarette like that get in the way of, of loving Krishna." He said, "So you smoke one less every day until it's finished. Yes. Now, if you're smoking two, three days, then smoke three days, smoke two a day, and then one less every day until it's finished." He didn't say, you broke the rules. You're out. It's finished. <laughs> yeah, the rules are there and they're important. They will help us. But it's to be expected, to be honest with you, that everyone may not follow at all times. Who's involved in this business, in this kind of service, from my side, uh, it's a given, I can tell you. You can expect that. That may happen. So how you deal with that? You adjust it. And if you find no one can follow the rules, you want to change some of those rules too because there's a principle that's in, it's involved it's not about just the rules you see the love of Krishna is going on it's, called, it's being cultivated even when we don't follow the rules if we chant Hare Krishna if we even think about Krishna consciousness and aspire for it 
wish we could be Krishna conscious. This is the nature of bhakti. See, she's independent. She can go anywhere, any circumstance, and have effect. So we shouldn't kill the generosity of bhakti. That's why we can't complain sometimes about all those crazy people that join the Hare Krishna movement, because she is generous. <laughs> what can be done? <laughs> so, uh, so she's generous with us, too. And, and someone who has bhakti in their heart, at least the Madhya Madhikari, they will be a generous person. And so we should keep the company of such persons or find such a person, and, and they will deal with you generously. And they say, all right, so you don't feel that? Huh? Then what do you feel? Do that. And then when you hear that, you'll be so encouraged. And you might think, maybe I feel about other things too. Oh, they're all so good. I, sh- I should do that. Now some of us, you know, we're older and we have, we have a good mind with an intelligence that's tempered by experience, worldly experience, just time, age, and so forth. And we're able to think about what we got involved in when we were, we were kids and couldn't think in the same way. And so some of the things we accepted as if Prabhupada answered every argument and defeated every philosopher, we realized, well, you know, every philosophy has its limitations. Gaudi Vaishnavism is no exception. We accept its perfect logic in one sense because we're psychologically disposed towards it having Sukriti for bhakti. But as I said earlier, the experience of Krishna consciousness, you can never talk about it accurately. Words don't, uh, aren't adequate to describe that. You have to go there. So when we talk about it with words, even the words of Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, our Prabhupada and so forth, oh, they have their they have their limitations. It's not that they're limited, but um, the whole philosophy is kind of like I said, an outline to the book of life. So now in time we we think about it and with more mature minds and experience and other manifestations of what we got involved in in a particular sector institution are there and about and you can have to cross-reference that and and, uh, and just, you know, just the idea, I mean, that uh, somebody became a witch and flew in and, you know, then was 12 miles long and fell on the, you know, you have to think about it. Under the influence of Prabhupada's Bhava, you just go, yeah. <laughs> it happened, and you wonder why are the people, you know. <laughs> now you wonder, well, do I believe that that there was a witch and she was twelve miles away? You see, you have to think about these things. But if you think about it in good company, oh, you find good support for it. Actually, mm-hmm. see, the whole of Krishna Lila, the theology tells us that the Krishna Lila is conducted under the influence of the Swarup Shakti of Krishna internal energy of Krishna, that it appears in the world, Krishna Lila, under that influence. If we study that influence, we know, oh, it magical things happen in love, you see. Love is magic. In love, faults become ornaments. Reason is transcended, and it's happy. After all, a reasonable life is not necessarily a happy life. It can be a very dry life. Hmm? So what do we want, a doctrine of knowledge or do we want a doctrine of love? We want a doctrine of love, that's Krishna consciousness. In love, everything's possible. What is the language of our shastras? Bhagavatam is our main shastra. It's poetry. It's Ras shastra. It's all poetry. This is the language of love. In poetry, you can do anything. In prose, you can't. In poetry, the moon can have wings and fly out of the ocean. (laughs) Across the sky. 
So that experience of the great Gaudiya mystics, they speak about it in poetic language. And it is their experience, it's their actual experience in a land of love, which we have little experience of, only the reflection of. What's said to be sane in this world is to be rational and and reasonable, but it doesn't take you out of the world. Reason can completely uh, cover the soul. So we're cautioned that we should be reasonable, but that reason has its limits. And simply to be reasonable, one doesn't mean to be happy. We've met happy people, like Prabhupada was a happy person. We were attracted to that. So when Krishna Leela comes to the world, it, it comes under the influence of his internal energy. This is, this is our theology. And under the influence of that internal energy, then wonderful things can happen. He can come to the world, and, like in Bhagavad Gita, he can be involved in the battle. What is it? 640 million people can die in 18 days. And if you go and study the tract of land at Kurukshetra, you know, 640,000 people couldn't fit there, maybe. Uh, and then, so how is it possible? There's no trace of it. There's no, you know, memorial. 640 people in the Battle of Kurukshetra. It's more people than all the modern wars combined that died. So did it happen? We say yes and no. It happened within the context of Krishna Leela. If we accept that Krishna has Leela, God has a Leela, that there's a plane of, of reality that we call Krishna Leela, that's the full face of the Absolute, the heart of the Absolute. If reality has a heart, we say, that's Krishna. That's what we mean by Krishna. Even the way he's envisioned, not that he doesn't appear like that, but he do, how he appears and he's envisioned by the mystics all represents just like the beauty of youth. Everyone likes a puppy, a kitten, a child. Youth is attractive. It captures our heart. If the absolute, if reality has a heart. You see, reality is a person. It's not us. We think it is. I'm reality. In my world, of my mind, in my person, I look at everything from that perspective. Is it so hard to think reality is a person? We act like that anyway. But we just make the mistake that that person is me. I'm the center. I live in a small world of my mind. It's not even comfortable for me, but I expect everybody else to live inside of it. (laughs) And no complaints. (laughs) Is Is this reasonable? No. So you have to be rational. Displace that then. That world of your mind and the world of you, which is just your desires born in the mind based on sensual input, that's a myth. That's a mythology. And what is the myth of Krishna Leela? It is the power to dethrone the empire of the, of the mind. So what, what is real? Do you follow? If that myth, so-called, of Krishna Leela can conquer the empire of our mind, which is so fortified, what is the power of that? What is real then? What possibilities are there? When Krishna Leela comes to earth, all those things happen. And you can experience it in your heart by following this, the means to enter there. And it's not by the brain that you will enter there. It's by, by changing your heart. That's how you'll enter there. Is that a good idea to change your heart? Is that reasonable? In the world of our mind, we, are, we live on the take. In other words, to maintain your sense of 
being, person, reality, individuality, you have to take from others. You have to kill to live. And everybody is involved in this. We, are, we have to kill to live. And what Bhagavad Gita teaches us is that you have to die to that killing in order to live on another plane, a plane of giving, a plane of love. And there all wonderful things happen. There, as I said earlier, talking is singing, the walking is dancing, and what must be the singing and what must be the dancing there? All possibility. When Krishna Leela comes, everything happens, and there's no trace of it at the same time. You can't find it out with your instruments, examine it with your microscope, maybe some particle here or there, you may... And we may try to do like that because we need to convince people in some way or ourselves by standards that really have no relevance. Standards in the, in the mythic world of our mind. That this makes sense, that this is viable. That, and this is the, the very basis of prophets' emphasis also. Displace the, the world of your mind. Think about that. Is that reasonable? Then, how much have you done that? It was like one time, one person, I don't know if he ever became a disciple of Prabhupada, but at that time he wasn't initiated. He had read the Krishna book. And so he had the darshan of Prabhupada, and he said, Prabhupada, I read your Krishna book. And Prabhupada said, what did you think? He said, I think it is a bit fantastic. <laughs> and Prabhupada said, I think you are a bit fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> to think that everything has to conform to your realm of experience. And when the very thing that you think has to conform to your experience appears within the realm of your experience for the purpose of taking you beyond it. The mind and reasoning wants to make, take the life out of spirituality. Like a vulture, our mind is always looking to make things dead. Like itself. Hmm? On its own terms. Another disciple of Prabhupada once questioned Prabhupada and said, you know, Prabhupada, I read the Krishna book. And in Vrindavan... It's mentioned that Nanda Marsh had 900,000 cows. It's also mentioned that uh, Vrindavan is so many miles square. And I've done the, you know, <laughs> I've done the math, okay? Get to reality here. I've done the math. <laughs> and 900 cows won't fit there. <laughs> and Prabhupada said, You think too much. <laughs> Or you read too much. You read too much into what's what's being said there. Hmm? Reading is supposed to stop us from thinking. That's what it's for, actually. Chanting about Krishna, hearing about Krishna is meant to stop our mind so that we can actually know what possibilities there are beyond the limits of the mind. That's the purpose of it. So, anyway, you, you keep good company who will encourage you in Krishna consciousness. I encourage you to use your reasoning. I accept if you don't believe it, then don't do it. Whether you should believe it or not, then maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, but have some discussion. And what you do believe and what you do feel good about Krishna consciousness, then do that, do that sincerely. And try to keep good company. And Prabhupada will be pleased with you. And even if it looks like you're going down, that one foot, you're actually going up. If you keep, keep good company. Any other question? Mm-hmm. to really 
the real beginning point. Mm-hmm. To actually see myself that I, I actually have nothing. And, and to actually cry at that point. That that's, that's right, because Krishna consciousness is about crying. That's what it's about. That is the sadhana, really. Prabhupada was once asked about yoga. Prabhupada said, yoga? We just cry, oh, my dear Krishna, please help me. That's all. That's yoga. Hmm? That is real yoga. You have to cry. You, and you have to cry because you can't cry. Prabhupada said, chant and be happy. And I say, chant and be happy. Be unhappy is the goal. Hmm? <laughs> chant and be unhappy, like Mahabharata was unhappy. Crying, crying, crying. We can't cry like that, but we should cry that we can't cry like that. Then we'll become happy. Tears of joy will come. So yes, that's how we should think. Marjitani said it's like uh, nectar and poison at the same time. Mm, Yes. Krishna consciousness looks like poison on the outside. That's another thing. What's that verse? Vitarayanandamoy. Krishna premyarat bhutta charita. The wonderful adbhuta charit, the wonderful characteristic of Krishna Prem is that it looks like poison on the outside, but on the inside it's anandamai, it's full of joy. And material life looks like joy on the outside, but inside it looks, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> we know that. So Krishna consciousness must be the opposite. Anything else? We have talked for a long time, huh? We're just now starting. <laughs> just now <Night> starting. <laughs> okay, why don't we do this? We take a little dessert, come back, and we sit casually, and we can talk more, all right? Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Bhaktarinda ki jai. Prainananda ki haribol.